0: We're going to be learning in Chidush of Chaim HaLevi the only piece on Hilchus Beis HaBechira. This is the first piece in Sefer Avoda, which is the Rambam's discussion of the Beis HaMikdash. In this piece, Rabbi Chaim is going to develop an idea in the Rambam that the Beis HaMikdash has to be built exactly according to code, the way Hashem commanded it. Otherwise, it doesn't get the special sanctity of the Beis HaMikdash. The Rambam writes vim nekra even if a stone from the floor of the Beis hamikdash becomes loose afal pishiyomedispem even though it's still in place So the stone is still where it should be. It's just not connected to the floor. Since it got ruined, it's invalid. The Kohen cannot stand on that stone and do the service in the Besam Mikdash. Until it gets connected to the ground. So the Rambam rules in the case of a loose stone that even though it's still there... The Kohen cannot stand on it while he's doing the service in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, the Ravid adds, Od amrush Im nekraha even. Let's say the stone is totally removed. It's not just loose, but it's totally missing. So now the Kohen is standing in the hole where the stone used to be. So the adds that that also is not allowed because Ein derech bekach. That's not the proper way to serve in the Beis HaMikdash. Standing on just the ground, not on the floor. So the rambam addresses a case where the stone is loose, but it's still there, and the rivet addresses a case where the stone is totally missing. So Rab Chaim explains that what's going on between the Rambam and the Raivid is a debate how to read a case in the Gemara in Zvachim on Davchaf Dalid. The Gemara asks, If the stone got uprooted and he stood in its place, so is that allowed? And the Gemara explains that the two sides of the question are, Ki Kaddish David Kaddish, When David sanctified the area of the Beis Mikdash. Did he only sanctify the floor? So if the floor is missing, then the sanctity is not there. Or maybe he sanctified all the way to the depths of the earth. So the ground of the Besamikdash itself is sanctified. And even if the floor is missing, it's still sanctified. So that question seems to imply that we're talking about when there's no stone, it's totally missing, and the Kohen is standing on the ground itself. And the question is, did David sanctify the floor? So if the stone is missing, then it's not sanctified, or did he sanctify the actual land under the Beisam Mikdash? But that question only applies if the stone is missing, because if the stone is still there, it's just loose, so then it doesn't matter whether he sanctified the ground underneath it. The stone, which is part of the floor, is still there, and that floor, including the stone, is sanctified. So that's why the Raivid says that the question of the Gemara is when there's no stone at all, and the Kohen is standing on the ground. Now, the Rambam, who records the case, when there is a stone, it's just loose, So Rab Chaim explains that he must be referring to the earlier question of the Gemara. The Gemara asks, (inaudible) If the stone is loose and the Kohen stood on it, what's the halacha? So it's not that the Rambam's case is not discussed at all in the Gemara, but rather there's two questions. The first one deals with a loose stone, and the second one deals with a missing stone. So that's what the Rivid is adding to the Rambam's case, that the Rambam only mentioned the first case of a loose stone, the Raivit is adding that there's another case in the Gemara of a missing stone. And that's how Rashi also learns the Gemara, that there are two separate questions. The problem is that the Rambam does not seem to learn the Gemara like the Raivet and Rashi. Because the Rambam in Hilchus Bias Mikdash, the laws of going into the Beis HaMikdash in Perak Hay, quotes the issue of if there's a loose stone. And then in Hilchus Beis the laws of building the Beis HaMikdash are halacha. He also quotes the same issue of a loose stone. So the Rambam is quoting this issue of the Gemara in two different places. But in both of them, he's interpreting it the same way to refer to a loose stone and not to a missing stone. So the implication is that the Rambam does not have a question in the Gemara regarding a missing stone but somehow he has two issues in the Gemara regarding a loose stone. So Rav Chaim is going to explain how the Rambam interpreted this Gemara differently than the Rivid and Rashi, that both of the questions of the Gemara refer to a loose stone, but the Gemara does not discuss the issue of a missing stone. Now, the language of the Gemara was ne'ekra ha'even v'omad b'imkoma ma'hu. If the stone got uprooted and he stood in its place, what's the halakha? So the Ravid and Rashi understand that he is referring to the Kohen, meaning the stone is Uprooted and the Kohen is standing where the stone should be on the ground. Rab Chaim says very brilliantly that the Rambam understood the he refers to the stone. So the case of the Gemara is that the stone got uprooted and the stone remained in its place meaning not that the Kohen is standing in the ground, but rather the loose stone is standing in the ground. So that's the same case as the other question of a loose stone, which remains where it is. So Reb Chaim has a very brilliant linguistic read of this Gemara, how the Rambam interprets both questions to be talking about loose stones, but there's no missing stones. But now the problem is conceptually, why does the Gemara explain that the question centers on whether David sanctifies the floor or the ground, if in either case there's a stone, it might be loose, but there is a stone on top of the ground, so it doesn't matter whether David sanctified the ground or not. So we have to understand how the Gemara's explanation of its question makes sense according to the Rambam that it's talking about a loose stone. So, Rab Chaim explains that the Rambam believes that the Beis Hamikdash's sanctity only stems from it being in the proper place. That's the way the Torah even describes the whole essence of the Beis Hamikdash: Hamakom Asher Yivchar, the place that Hashem will choose. So, from the emphasis on the makom, on the place, Rabbi Chaim deduces Dezev dushas la'aretz that the sanctity of the beis Mikdash cannot take effect unless something is connected to that land. So now we can make sense of the Gemara's explanation of its question. If David only sanctified the floor, then that means that in order for each stone to have sanctity, it must be attached to the floor, because otherwise it's not part of that makam. It's as if it's just floating around, but it's not part of the place of the Besam Mikdash. So if a stone is loose, then it's not sanctified. And if a Kohen is standing on it when he does the service, it's as if he's not standing in the Besam Mikdash. Because since the sanctity is connected to the floor, so the stone must be part of that floor, it cannot be loose. On the other hand, if the way David formulated the sanctity was that the land underneath the floor is sanctified, so then that changes the whole nature of the equation because the place that's sanctified is the ground. The point of the floor is not that it's sanctified, but it can't be a chatzitsa. You can't have a separation between the Kohen doing the service and the ground underneath. Now, even though the floor is a separation, so it should break between the Kohen and the sanctified ground underneath, but since it's all connected, so that's not considered a Chatzitzah. Now, this is going to make a big difference for a loose stone that's still connected to the floor. If the issue is a chatzitzah, so then that's enough to make it that the stone is not a chatzitzah, because even though it's not firmly connected to the floor, but it is somewhat connected. It's loose, but it's still part of the floor. So it's not considered a chatzitza. On the other hand, if the floor itself is sanctified, then it's not enough for the stone to be connected loosely to the floor, but it has to be firmly connected to the floor. So that's the explanation of the Gemara's question, according to the Rambam's reading. We're talking about a loose stone, not a missing stone. But still, that question is going to depend on whether the floor or the stone was sanctified. Because depending which one was sanctified, it's going to change the nature of the floor in this equation. If the floor was sanctified, so then the floor itself requires sanctity. If the ground was sanctified, so then the floor only needs to not be a break between the Kohen and the ground. And the big difference is going to be a loose stone, which is still sitting in the floor, but it's not firmly connected. If the whole point is to prevent a break between the Kohen and the ground, then that's enough. But if it actually has to be part of the sanctified floor of this place, so then it's not enough to be loosely fitting, it has to be firmly attached to the floor. So at this point, Rab Chaim's explained how the Rambam reads the language of the Gemara's question differently than the Raivid. And he's also explained conceptually how the Rambam makes sense of the two sides of the question. Now Rab Chaim continues reading through the Gemara to try to understand how the Rambam read this whole passage in the Gemara. The Gemara's next question is, Why are you only asking me in the case of one stone, why don't you ask about the entire floor of the Beis Amikd? So according to Rashi, the question is, why are you only asking when one stone was removed, ask if the entire floor is missing and there's just ground? So the Gemara answers... Da'ad aris tahoma that in fact, there was no question whether David sanctified the floor or the ground. It's clear that he sanctified the ground. So if the question was whether the entire floor is missing, then that would be fine. So long as the ground under the Besam Mikdash is there, it doesn't matter if there's a stone floor on top of it or not. So that's why we never ask the question if the entire floor is missing because it would certainly be valid for the Kohen to do the service, even without any floor, just standing on the ground. So what then is the Gemara's question if one stone is missing? So the Gemara explains, The case where there's one stone missing is different because the rest of the floor is intact. So it looks funny for the Kohen to be standing in the hole on the ground when the rest of the floor is there. So that's why the Gemara had a question whether that service is valid, because the Kohen is standing somewhere unusual where the stone is missing. But if the entire floor is missing, so then there's nothing unusual about any one area because it's all ground, so then the Kohen could stand on any of the ground and do the service. So the Gemara's conclusion is that there is no problem standing on the ground itself. There's no actual need to stand on the floor. But if there's a floor and just part of it is missing, so then that might be a disrespectful place to stand and do the service, so that might be invalid. But if there's no floor at all, so then it doesn't matter where the Kohen stands. Now, Rab Chaim points out that this only works according to Rashi, that we're talking about a missing stone. But according to the Rambam that we're talking about a loose stone, and the question as Rab Chaim explained is whether a loose stone is a chatzitza between the Kohen and the sanctified hallowed ground underneath. So then we could have asked the exact same question if all the stones in the floor were loose. The Gemara's whole point is to differentiate between the case where there's no stones or one missing stone, but according to the Rambam, it would be a difference between one loose stone versus all the stones in the floor being loose. And it would be the exact same question. Does that constitute a break between the Kohen and the ground? So again, we're back to the same issue. Why does the Gemara ask the question on one loose stone and not if all the stones in the floor are loose? So to answer this and to explain how the Rambam read the Gemara, Rab Chaim says something which is absolutely brilliant. And his approach combines both a creative linguistic idea that the Rambam read the words of the Gemara differently than Rashi. So again, Rab Chaim is proposing a new reading of the Gemara's language and a major new conceptual idea that the Rambam had. Rab Chaim says that the Rambam holds that if there's any stone missing in the floor of the Beis HaMikdash, and that doesn't just mean physically, but that means if it's missing the sanctity of the Beis HaMikdash, so then that spirals into a much bigger problem than just one stone. Because now the Beis HaMikdash is missing some of its measurements, because the measurements of the Beis HaMikdash are precise and they include every stone. So if one stone is not sanctified, then it's lacking the proper measurement. And if it's lacking the Proper measurement, then the whole Beis Hamikdash is not sanctified, because the pasuk in Yamim says Hakol B'Ksav. This is David's way of saying that Hashem gave him the precise instructions for the Beis Hamikdash. So, if any of those instructions are not followed, then the whole Beis Hamikdash is missing sanctity. So, this is a somewhat radical idea in the Rambam, but basically the idea is that the Beis Hamikdash is an all or nothing proposition either the entire thing is sanctified properly with the precise measurements, or if a teeny bit of it is missing, so then the entire thing is not sanctified. So now based on this idea, Rab Chaim suggests brilliantly that the Rambam interpreted when the Gemara says, that we should have asked in the case of the entire floor, it doesn't mean if the entire floor is loose, not just if one stone is loose, because according to the Rambam, there's no difference. Once one stone becomes loose, so it's missing sanctity, the entire Beis Hamikdash loses its sanctity. So there's no difference at all if one stone is loose or a hundred stones are loose or the whole floor is loose. One stone being loose is the equivalent of everything being off. Rather, the way the Rambam interpreted that question is that why don't we ask about the entire floor, meaning the question of the Gemara is only if the Kohen is standing on the loose stone itself. But why don't we ask about the rest of the floor, which is firmly connected, but still it should be invalid for the Kohen to be standing on that section of the floor because one of the stones is loose. So even if he's standing a hundred feet away on part of the floor, which is totally firmly solid, that's still invalid because there's one stone which is loose. So the Gemara's question is, Why did you only ask this question in a case where the Kohain is standing on the loose stone and not in a case where he's standing on any part of the floor, but since one of the stones is not sanctified, the whole thing is not sanctified. So on that, the Gemara answers... That you're right. If David had sanctified the floor itself, so then one stone missing sanctity would invalidate the whole thing. And anywhere where the Kohen was standing, even if it was solid underneath him, would be invalid. But the Gemara says that we hold that David sanctified the ground itself. So that's why one loose stone is not going to invalidate the entire floor because the sanctity doesn't need to be in the floor. The sanctity is in the ground. The only thing we need from the floor is not to be a break between the Kohen and the ground. So that's why one loose stone doesn't invalidate the whole thing. But there is a problem if the Kohen is standing on the loose stone, because again, That's not the proper way to serve, to stand on the one loose stone in the floor. It's more respectful for the Kohen to stand on the solidly attached stone. So that's why we had a limited question If the Kohen did something funny like stand on the one loose stone, is that service allowed? But it has nothing to do with the sanctity of the Beis Hamikdash itself, which is certainly sanctified because the ground underneath it is sanctified. The only question is about this Kohen standing in a funny place, whether that's a proper service or not. So that's how the Rambam made sense of this whole question of the Gemara. And again, it's different than Rashi. It's not asking what if all the stones in the floor are missing, but rather it's asking why isn't the entire floor invalidated by one invalid stone based on this idea of Hakol Biksav, that everything in the Beis Mikdash has to be exactly precise. And if any part of it is missing sanctity, so then that's a lack in the measurement of the Beis HaMikdash, and the whole thing is invalid. And now, Rab Chaim proves his reading of the Rambam through a careful reading of the language of the Rambam, because the Rambam just says, Im even, If a stone is uprooted. So he doesn't in any way differentiate whether it's one stone or the entire floor is uprooted. So it sounds like this same halacha that the Kohen can't stand on the loose stone would apply not only if one stone was loose, but if the entire floor was loose. Which goes against the distinction in the Gemara between whether it's one stone or the entire floor. And furthermore, even the Ravid, who subtly disagrees with the Rambam's presentation of this halacha, and he interprets the Gemara like Rashi, that it's talking about a missing stone, but he doesn't differentiate between whether one stone is missing or the entire floor is missing. And the Gemara explicitly said that if the whole floor is missing, then the Kohen could do the service on the ground. So why do the Rambam and the Raivid both omit the distinction in the Gemara that if the whole floor is missing or loose, then the Kohen could work there? So Rab Chaim explains it's because they read the Gemara the way he did that there is no case where the whole floor is missing or loose. The Gemara means to say, if one stone is missing or loose, then the Kohen shouldn't be able to work on the rest of the floor either. Not only that one space of the missing or loose stone. So once the Gemara answers that no, the Kohen is allowed to work on the rest of the floor. So the only case in the Gemara is if there's one stone missing or loose. But if the whole floor is missing or loose, it would be the same halakha. So both the Rambam and the Raivid read that second part of the Gemara differently than Rashi, that the Gemara is not introducing a new case where the whole floor is missing or loose, but rather it's just asking, why can the Kohain work in any part of the floor? And once the Gemara answer that, so at the end of the day, there's no practical difference between whether one stone is missing or loose or the whole floor is missing or loose. So, according to Rab Chaim, there's three approaches in the Rishonim to reading this Gemara. There's Rashi who interprets the first question of the Gemara is about a loose stone, and the second question is about a missing stone. And then the Gemara says that if the whole floor is missing, the Kohen could still work on the ground. But if only one stone is missing, then he maybe shouldn't stand on that location. Then there's the Rambam's way of reading this Gemara, which is totally different, that the Gemara's only case is if the there's a loose stone. And in the second half, the Gemara never mentions the possibility of the whole floor being loose. It's just asking, why can the Kohen work on the rest of the floor? And the Gemara answers that. So at the end of the day, there's no difference between whether one stone is loose or the whole floor is loose. The Kohen can't work on any of it. And then the rivid reads the first half like Rashi. So there's two questions, whether there's a loose stone and then if there's a missing stone. And the second half, he reads like the Rambam that the Gemara is asking if one stone is missing, so then why isn't the whole floor invalid? So at the end of the day, there's two cases mentioned in the Gemara. If one stone is missing and if one stone is loose, but it never discusses the issue of whether the whole floor is missing, which would be invalid according to the Raibid, unlike Rashi. So that's Rab Chaim's way of making sense of this passage in the Gemara and building on very little, just the or two in Rashi, a line or two in the Rambam, and a line or two in the Ravid. he's able to construct this magnificent model of three different ways of reading this Gemara. Now, in the last paragraph, Rabhaim Chaim focuses on Rashi's interpretation of this Gemara, and he wants to suggest that even though Rashi reads the Gemara differently than the Rambam, but in this key conceptual idea, he basically largely agrees with the Rambam. In Rashi's interpretation of the Gemara, there are three cases which are discussed. A loose stone, a missing stone, and if the whole floor is missing. So according to Rashi, it seems clear that if one stone is missing, there's no possibility that the rest of the floor is invalid because the Gemara never asked that question. Even on the position that David sanctified the floor itself, the Gemara never raised the possibility that the rest of the floor should be invalidated because one stone is missing. So Rashi seems to disagree with the fundamental idea of the Rambam and the Raivid that if one stone is missing, it throws off the whole measurement of the Beis HaMikdash. And since it's not Hakol Biksav, it's not the exact design of Hashem, then the whole Beis HaMikdash loses its sanctity. Rashi seems to believe that even if the design is off and the measurement is not fully intact, still there would be sanctity on the rest of the Beis HaMikdash. So Rashi seems to disagree with this key idea that Rav Chaim developed in the Rambam and the Ravid. But then Rav Chaim says that maybe even Rashi agrees with this basic idea. The reason why the Gemara never raised the problem according to Rashi is because of something else. When the Gemara says that David sanctified the floor and not the ground, so Rashi understands that that doesn't mean literally that he only sanctified the floor. Because it wouldn't make sense to say that the ground has no sanctity at all only the stones of the floor have sanctity. Because then what should happen is, let's say one of the stones is uprooted, so that section of the floor is missing, it's now lost its sanctity entirely, and then when they replace it, they should need to re-sanctify that area. And that we don't find. In other words, you just put the stone back in and seal it in, but you don't need to start re-sanctifying that section. So that means that it can't be that there's no sanctity in the ground at all. It's only in the stones of the floor. There must be sanctity in the ground. So according to Rashi, when the Gemara raised the two possibilities, is the sanctity in the floor or in the ground, it doesn't mean is it in the floor only, And not in the ground at all. But rather it was always obvious to the Gemara that there is sanctity in the ground itself. And that's why if one of the stones goes missing it only needs to be reattached. But it doesn't need to be re-sanctified. Because the sanctity was never lost from that area. So what does the Gemara mean when it says that David sanctified the floor? It means that in addition to the ground, you also need a floor there in order for it to be considered a Besam Mikdash. Meaning option number one is that David sanctified the ground and that alone is enough to consider it the place of the Besam Mikdash. And option number two is that David sanctified the ground with the completion of the floor making it into the Besam Mikdash. So if it's missing a stone, then that area is not fit for doing the service of the Beis Hamikdash, even though the ground under it is sanctified. So Reb Chaim suggesting in Rashi, not that we reinterpret the Hakol Sav idea, that the Beis HaMikdash has to be precise with everything being sanctified, but rather that we reinterpret the meaning that David sanctified the floor to not mean that the floor alone is sanctified, not the ground, but rather that the floor completes the ground. So coming full circle, that would mean according to Rashi, If one of the stones is missing, it doesn't invalidate the rest of the Beis Hamikdash because the rest of it is still sanctified because the ground is all sanctified. But if the Beis HaMikdash would be missing sanctity in even one small section, then Rashi agrees with the Rambam and the Raivid that that would invalidate the rest of the Beis HaMikdash. So reading Rashi the way Rab Chaim is suggesting is going to allow Rashi to agree with the basic idea of the Rambam and the Raivid that HaKol Sav, the Beis HaMikdash, has to be exactly the way Hashem said to build it, with the precise measurements and every part of it being sanctified... And if it would ever be missing any sanctity, even in one stone, then the whole thing would be invalid. And that's why, according to the Rambam and the Raivid, the Gemara asks that if even one stone is missing sanctity, then the whole area of the Mikdash should be invalid. But according to Rashi, the Gemara never asks that question because it's self-understood that the ground underneath it is sanctified, even if there's a missing stone. The only question is whether that's a valid area of the Beis Hamikdash in order to do this service. But there was no question about the sanctity of that area itself and this last point is what the Rambam and the Rai disagree with Rashi about because they hold that even if it was sanctified but if it's not a place where the service of the Beis HaMikdash can go on then that also chips away at the Hakol Biksav it's not considered the full design of Hashem so that would invalidate the rest of the Beis HaMikdash so this is the minor point that Rashi and the Rambam disagree about in this issue they both agree that the Beis HaMikdash is an all or nothing proposition. If it's missing even a small part of it, then the whole thing is invalid. But the Rambam holds that even a lack of having the proper halachas of the Beis Mikdash in one small section would invalidate the whole thing. Whereas Rashi holds that's not enough unless that section is actually missing the sanctity of the place itself. So this is Rabhaim's Chaim's analysis of the Rambam and the Raivet and Rashi, how they read this Gemara. And again, from just a small amount of material, he built up these very beautiful ideas. The key idea that Rabhaim Chaim has in this piece is that the Rambam, Raivet and Rashi all agree that HaKol Biksav, Hashem gave the design of the Beis Mikdash with the precise measurements. And if any little thing is missing or off from that design, so then it affects not only that one little area, but the whole Beis HaMikdash would be in invalid, because it's missing sanctity in one little area, so the whole Beis HaMikdash is invalid. But there are some distinctions between the Rambam and the Rivid about how to read the Gemara. According to the Rivid, there's a case where there's a missing stone, whereas according to the Rambam, there is no case like that. And there's a distinction between the Rambam and Rashi, because Rashi holds that the Beis HaMikdash is only invalidated if it actually loses the sanctity. Whereas the Rambam holds that it could be invalidated even if it's just not a proper area of the Baisam Mikdash. As well as Rashi holds that there's a distinction between if the whole floor is uprooted, that then the Kohen could stand wherever he wants, whereas the Rambam and Raived do not believe in that distinction. And in the beginning, Rab Chaim said another more minor idea, which is that the Baisam Mikdash is specifically a halacha in the place. So whatever is going to be part of the Beis HaMikdash has to be rooted onto that hallowed ground. It can't just be something that's floating around in the vicinity. Now, Rab Chaim's idea in this piece that the architecture of the Beis HaMikdash has to be exactly precise, and if it's a little bit off, then the whole Beis HaMikdash is invalid, is very controversial. And in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidusha ben Chaim Alevi, they quote about half a dozen serious problems with it. So we'll go through some of them. Rab Baruch Rosenberg was a Rashi ben Slabadka. So he was asked that according to Rab Chaim's interpretation in the Rambam, that if the whole floor is missing, you still can't use the Beis HaMikdash. Meaning that's one of Rab Chaim's creative ideas because the simple reading of Rashi is that if the whole floor is missing, it's not a problem. Only if one stone is missing, it's a problem. But Rab Chaim interpreted In the Rambam, that if the whole floor is missing, it would certainly be a problem because you need the Besam Mikdash to be fully intact in order to be able to bring karbonos. So the question is, the Gemara says, That you could bring sacrifices even when there's no Besam Mikdash. After the Besam Mikdash was destroyed, they still brought sacrifices on that area, just on the land itself. But according to Rab Chaim, how were they able to do that when they were missing the very architecture of the Beis HaMikdash? So this is a strong question on Rab Chaim's interpretation. But in the Or they quote that Rab Chaim's grandson, Rab Beral so he had a potential answer to this. And he limited Rab Chaim's idea that it's only referring to the concept of the Beis HaMikdash. Meaning, if the architecture is off then the Beis Hamikdash is invalid. But it doesn't affect the actual sacrifices themselves. So he's differentiating between the concept of the Beis Hamikdash and bringing the sacrifices. And the sacrifices can be brought... Even though the architecture of the Beis HaMikdash is off. And he had a proof for this. Because the Rambam in the next chapter of Hilchus Beis HaBekhira in Parak Beis seems to contradict himself. In Halacha Gimel, the Rambam lists the measurements of the Mizbeach. And he concludes there, You can't make it larger or smaller than the precise measurements that were given. But then in halacha Yud Yudzayin, the Rambam says, that the measurements of the height or the length or the width don't invalidate. So if they were done improperly, the Mizbeach could still be used. So he seems to be contradicting himself. In the earlier halacha, he said that you cannot add to make it larger or smaller. And then later on, he said that it wouldn't invalidate the Mizbeach. So Rav explained that the Rambam is making this distinction. The Mizbeach itself is not considered a proper Mizbeach unless it's made entirely properly. So if one adds or detracts from the measurements of the Torah, then the Mizbeach loses its status as the Mizbeach. But on the other hand, the sacrifices that are brought on that improper Mizbeach are not invalidated. So this would be a limitation of Rab Chaim's idea that he's only saying that if the architecture is off, then the building and the vessels of the Beis HaMikdash don't have the status of being the Beis HaMikdash. But it's not going to invalidate the sacrifices which are brought there, and that's how they could sacrifice even when there was no Beis HaMikdash, so there was no floor. There's another question from Rav Shach in Avi Ezri, and he quotes the Gemara in Sukkhan, which is the source for mechitzas, so it tells the story that they used to have intermingling in the Besam Mikdash, and they realized this was a problem, so they built a gezustra, they built a balcony, so the women were on top and the men were on the bottom. So the Gemara asks from the Pasuk of Hakol Biksav, you're not allowed to add to the design of Hashem. So how could they add this Gizustra to the architecture of the Besam Mikdash? And the Gemara answers that they realized they had a problem, so they needed to add something to the Besam Mikdash. So Rav Shach says that this only makes sense if Hakol B'Ksav doesn't invalidate the whole Beis HaMikdash. Meaning there's a halacha that you're supposed to follow the exact design of the Beis HaMikdash. But since they saw that there was a problem, so they tweaked it a little bit and they added a balcony. But if according to Rav Chaim, Hakol B'Ksav would literally invalidate the whole Beis HaMikdash then it's not possible that they invalidated the whole building in order to add this balcony. So that's another question on Rabheim's Chaim's theory. And Rav Shach has a few other questions. He wonders about Rabheim's Chaim's interpretation in Rashi, that because the ground is sanctified, so it doesn't matter if one stone is missing. But Rav Shach asks that Hakol B'Ksav is talking about the Beis Mikdash itself. So even if it's sanctified land, but if it's missing part of the beis Mikdash, so then why shouldn't HaKolbek Sav kick in and invalidate the rest of it? And he also asks a very creative question that Rab Chaim's two re-readings of the Gemara seem to contradict each other. Because Rab Chaim interpreted in the Rambam that when the Gemara said va'amad b'mekoma, he stood in its place. It doesn't mean the Kohain stood in its place, but rather it means the stone stood in its place. And then the Gemara asks, why don't you ask about the rest of the floor? So Rav Chaim again interpreted that it doesn't mean why don't we ask if the stones are missing from the rest of the floor, it means why don't we ask if the Kohen is standing in the rest of the floor. But says Rav Shach, according to Rav Chaim's earlier interpretation, it never said that the Kohen was standing on that place. All it said is that the stone is in that place. But it's very plausible that the Kohen is standing anywhere on the floor. So why is the Gemara now turning around and saying, why didn't we ask if the Kohen is standing elsewhere when that is exactly what we asked because we never specified in the first question according to Rab Chaim's reading in the Rambam it never specified that the Kohen is standing in the place of the missing rock. So this is a very clever question because Rab Chaim's two re-readings are both clever in and of themselves, but it's unclear if they can be sustained in the actual Progression of the Gemara. Now, they also quote that Rab Chatzkel Abramsky said that the Vilna Gaon disagrees with Rab Chaim's theory because the Bir HaGron at the end of Simon Kuf Mem Aleph, Os Lamid Hey. So he writes that the measurements of the Beis Mikdash do not invalidate it if they're done improperly. And based on that, he asks a question. It's not permitted to make a replica of the menorah even if it's not the same size as the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash. So if someone built a smaller menorah but it's a replica of the original one, that would be prohibited. On the other hand, it's not prohibited to build a smaller replica of the Beis Hamikdash building itself. So the Vilna Gaon asked, "Why not?" Because since he holds that the measurements don't invalidate it, so when someone goes and builds some small-sized replica of the Baysam Mikdash, it's like they're building the Baysam Mikdash itself. So the Vilnagon answered just practically that when someone builds a small Besam Mikdash, it doesn't look like they're replicating the original Besam Mikdash. So that's why it's allowed. As opposed to the menorah, that it does look like they're replicating the original one. So that's why it's not allowed. But you see that the Vilnagon clearly holds that the measurements are not so central that if they're off by a little bit, it would invalidate the entire Besam Mikdash. But rather he holds that the measurements could be off and it would still be a fully valid Beis HaMikdash. So the reason why someone can build a small replica of the Beis HaMikdash, according to Rab Chaim, would be because the measurements are off, so it's a nothing, and according to the Vilnagon, it's because it doesn't look like they're trying to build the actual Beis HaMikdash. Now the Chazon Ish had a question, which is, the Gemara says, Mosifin Al HaAzara, that they were able to add on to the floor area of the Beis HaMikdash. So that goes against Rab Chaim that it has to be the precise measurements and they couldn't change it or add on to it at all. So Baruch Rosenberg had a good suggestion to explain Rab Chaim that he's not trying to say that because of Hakol Bixab, there's no way to add on to the Beis HaMikdash, but what he means is that if they add on, it needs a new resanctification. In other words, the Beis HaMikdash was sanctified as is and anything which gets added on later, it could could be added on; it could be expanded. But anything which is added on is going to require a new sanctification. But it can't be part of that original sanctification. So that's how he explained Rab Chaim's theory. And we'll end with one last question from Rab Chaim's son, Rab Velvel the Brisker Rav. This is in his Chidushim on Sota, Daf at Amid The Mishnah there is discussing the Sota water, which was mixed with dirt. And the question is, how did they get dirt in the Beis HaMikdash? So the Mishnah says that there was a tile in the Beis HaMikdash that had a little ring on it and the Kohen could lift it up and he would take the dirt from under there. So that means that there was a movable tile within the Beis HaMikdash which Reb Velvel asked seems to go against Rab Chaim's idea that everything that's part of the Beis HaMikdash has to be connected to the building or to the ground, but you can't have things floating around which are part of the Beis HaMikdash. And here there was a tile which was not connected to the Beis HaMikdash. It was able to be lifted up and replaced.